Thanks for downloading the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. With the beginning of the holiday season, we're featuring some of our most popular podcasts from the past several months, between now and the start of the new year. Stay tuned for new podcasts coming in January. From everyone at World Challenge and the Gary Wilkerson Podcast, we wish you a joyous and blessed Christmas season. Hopelessness is born out of, a, of, a, of an incorrect view of God. And that's what Satan t- comes to kill, steal, and destroy, is our view of God being good, being for us, being powerful, being available, being present to us at all times, and even being with us in the storms when the storms don't cease. Emily Dickinson called hopelessness a dark cloud looming over the heart. If despair is stalking you, you know that feeling all too well. Here in the West, we all suffer from depression at some time in life, But in other parts of the globe, hopelessness seems to perpetuate itself, ensnaring generation after generation. The loss of hope for the future can have an enormous impact on your choices, plans, and even health. And it's our hope that this podcast would encourage you to have faith in God's good plans for the future. On this inaugural Gary Wilkerson podcast, Gary talks about how hope in Jesus Christ can transform the most destitute and everyone who feels as if they have lost meaning in life. Now, here's our host, Bob Dittmer. Well, welcome to the very first Gary Wilkerson podcast. Uh, We're grateful that you could join us as we uh, launch on a new venture here of ways to uh, find ways for you to live a better life and make a better world through Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. uh, Gary Wilkerson is is, uh, our our expert on this program. (laughs) He's going to be talking about his life, things that are of interest to him and that we think are of interest to you as well. And uh, Gary, there may be some folks that uh, that don't know you and aren't familiar with you. But, uh, you are the president of World Challenge. Uh, if people were to ask you if you were walking down on the road, uh, what's World Challenge? How would you explain that? Uh, World Challenge it was uh, started uh, about 40 years ago, and it is a missions organization. We help uh, particularly with the poorest of the poor around the world in developing countries to help to see them come out of poverty. And also we have a um, gospel presentation message that we want to have people come to know Jesus more. And so we proclaim the gospel through conferences, through uh, outreaches, through evangelistic events. Uh, in, uh, we've been, I've been in 72 different countries around the world through the Ministry of World Challenge, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping people uh, escape the horrible pains of, of poverty and the cyclical poverty of, uh, that's happened through generations. Um, some people may know a little bit more about it. another ministry that was a precursor to World Challenge called Teen Challenge, which my father started, uh, called uh, Teen Challenge, which is a drug rehabilitation program. And then it started expanding into different types of missions work of orphan care and feeding programs. And so that, thus the name changed from Teen Challenge, which was exclusively for drug rehab, to World Challenge, which is a little bit of a broader ministry that uh, works all, all around the world. And we have a growing staff, a growing ministry. Uh, but we're here to we're here to help people to, to as as you said in the introduction to, to uh, live a better life and make a better world. In fact, we are uh, recording this podcast in the uh, headquarters of World Challenge in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We can look out the window and see the snow-capped peak of Pikes Peak, yeah. uh, which is beautiful. Yeah, uh, just a little bit to our right from there, as we're in the studio, is the U.S. United States Air Force Academy which is nice in many ways, but we're also not too far from the end of the runway yeah. where they uh, teach cadets how to fly. And, uh, and so you're going to be hearing quite often some airplanes going overhead, either pulling gliders or these cadets that are flying in their single-engine planes. So 
just think of it as part of the ambiance of what we are here at World Challenge. Uh, it's really amazing, uh, the, the joy of living here in Colorado. I, I grew up in New York, and uh, you know what a great city it, it is. Uh, and, uh, but you know, we've been here about 20 years now, and uh, it is, it's, hard to, it's hard to beat this. I don't want those who are listening in other states to, to get jealous or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> man, what, a, what an amazing place. We are uh, shooting video of these podcasts as well, and so uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to watch those, and you may see some of the backdrops that we're talking about here, what we get to look out on as we do these podcasts. Now, Gary, not only are you the president of World Challenge, but uh, you also pastor churches as mm-hmm. well. Tell us about your time as a pastor. Um, yeah, with World Challenge, I've been with this ministry um, since its inception. Uh, when I was, uh, I think, 15 years old, I got a job as a janitor uh, in the summertime, and uh, then then I moved up in the world and became uh, one of the guys that worked in the mailroom uh, during summers while I was still in high school. Uh, and then when I was 19, I got uh, I went to a, a conference, and uh, this conference they were talking about church planting, and it was the first time I'd heard actually like electric guitars and drums in a in a church service, and there was some, some young leadership, and they were talking about the vision of what the church could be in the future, and it so gripped my heart. I was just like, that's what I want to spend my life uh, doing. And and then at that same conference, there was another guy who was an older man, and he talked about um, you know how important it is that God is working through the church, but how important it is to just simply know God. And if you're going to be a, a church leader or a pastor, uh, you know, give yourself to wholeheartedly to that, but make sure you know God, have an intimate relationship with Him. So at 19 years old, I got these two visions. One is to spend my life uh, to be a, a, a friend of God, to know Jesus deeply, to, to be to be, to be one like John the Beloved who laid his head on the chest of Christ and said, I, I want to be that guy. Like, John's not there anymore. Let me take that place. And, and then secondly is is to, to the mission of, of seeing the church of Jesus Christ expand around the world. So, um, yeah, so I started a first church when I was 24 years old. My wife and I moved into the inner city of, of Detroit, Michigan, uh, almost like a war-torn city, and uh, saw a beautiful uh, young church raised up there. Then my father started a church in New York City called Times Square Church, and he asked us to come uh, move from Detroit to help him plant that church in New York, so we were able to see that church started. Uh, then we got a phone call from uh, and a conversation with some friends in London, and they were starting a church in London and asked us to help them start that church as well, and then uh, here in Colorado as well uh, planted a church. So uh, four or five churches we've been a part of uh, in church planting, all along working with World Challenge as well in the missions organization. So I've kind of always worn two hats, and um, but as of the last... Uh, almost two years now, um, the World Challenge ministry has so expanded and we're developing new ministries that uh, I'm not able to give myself to two different ministries at the same time. So I'm no longer uh, in the full-time pastoral ministry, but doing a lot of pastor's conferences. Uh, so I still have my uh, foot in the door of, of church life. And uh, you know that's something that's so dear to the heart of Jesus. Many of those churches that you mentioned, inner city churches, mm-hmm. why a heart for a church in the inner city? Well, the, the that's where a lot of the needs are. You know, uh, at least certainly the more physical needs. You know, you see needs whether it be rural or urban, but uh, uh, you know the, the congestion of all these needs put in one place, uh, the poverty, the, uh, the 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 gangs, the drugs. You know, those are things that that I learned from my father that <clears throat> those are opportunities. Uh, to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. When the world thinks it's impossible to see a drug addict set free, that's where we need to be and see uh, the salvation of the Lord. When uh, the gang problem uh, seems overwhelming and even the police and the government doesn't know what to do with it, we know that Jesus is the answer. And so I've kind of learned to to run to the crisis, to go to places where no one else wants to go. And uh, that's been a part of my ministry and that's been a part of World Challenges ministry since its inception as well. So the urban areas around the world uh, certainly are places uh, that serve as an opportunity to show how powerful God is and what he can do in crisis situations. 
You also mentioned as part of your call the uh, interest in being one loved by God like John, mm-hmm. the beloved. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a pastor that, that would want to see that, right? Not just right. a pastor that would want to see a church grow or want to be close to Christ. For our listener out there, how, how can he or she mm-hmm. also fulfill that desire to see the church grow and also come close to Christ at the same time? Yeah, yeah. well, that's, you know, this is, as you mentioned earlier, this is our first uh, podcast together, and I'm looking forward to what we uh, are able to share in the future. But just right from the get-go, right from the start here, <clears throat> and I just want to say that this is, this is not to edify us or our ministry. This is not, to, it's not a commercial for who we are or what our ministry is. This is for, for, for my, my, my friends who are listening. This is for people that right now you, you just, uh, uh, you're, you're, there's, there's, you're on this uh, listening journey because there's a hunger in your heart. There's something that, that, that you're saying, there's, there's got to be more. There's got to be something. For me, that's, that, 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 the answer is always Jesus. Um, this is going to be a little bit silly, but there's this this joke that uh, this little boy goes to Sunday school class, and in the class, the teacher says, what's brown and furry and has a, a bushy tail and it eats nuts? And the little boy raises his hand and says, well, it sure it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus, you know, because, you know, you know. The expectation in church circles, religious circles, is you know Jesus is always the answer for everything. <clears throat> that's a humorous story, but the, for me, that's a reality. Jesus really is the answer for everything, and so that uh, <clears throat> there is a longing in the heart, even of people that don't know Jesus, uh, for something more. But even people that are already in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there there is within them a God-giving, given stirring, uh, jealousy, a uh, a fervency, a fire in their soul saying, God, I'm not satisfied with making money. I'm not satisfied with <clears throat> a, a good career. I'm not satisfied exclusively with being in good health. I, I, I want more. And that is that relationship with Jesus. And, and that that comes through uh, responding. I think that's the main thing I would say is it's a response. Uh, we don't usually initiate it. We love because he first loved us. Uh, and so there's this, 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 this Jesus call, this sense of uh, of come to me. <clears throat> so many people get distracted. You know, the enemy's great plan is to distract us. Um, trinkets and toys and agendas and goals and strategies. And, and it really comes down to uh, what the Bible, Paul, Paul talked about the flesh a lot, the fleshly nature in us. The, 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 another word for that is carnal. The, and that's, that's the selfish desire. And the reason I bring this up is I was just praying about this last night, just, just thinking like, you know, after all these years of ministry and after you know, what we do at World Challenge, just to thinking like the, the flesh in me is still, it's, it's, it's still stirring. It's still, still and, and, and there's the, the, and the, that wars against the spirit. So this, the, to, to be the spiritual man, to be the spiritual woman, to be this person you just asked about who, who does draw near to Jesus like that, it's going to be a battle. There's going to be uh, the satanic distraction to pull us away from that intimacy with Jesus. Uh, to get us distracted into, and it's usually self things, things of ourselves. Like uh, I, I want to build my career, or I want to build my reputation, or I want comfort. Uh, there's a lot of different. Uh, our, 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 our drug of choice, or our comfort of choice, is can can be uh, a plethora of many things. But the, uh, the, the there, there's like this arrow from the Holy Spirit that penetrates all those walls of, of self interest and self. Uh, building up self and it breaks through that and says that's not what your heart was built for you weren't built for yourself you were built for others you were built for god you were built for his kingdom and no one is happy unless they come to that place of realizing i'm not i'm not meant to live for me 
that, that it, it feels good for the, uh, uh, the temporary, like to live for yourself, but in the long run, it, it's miserable. And that's where depression comes from. That's where addictions come from. That's where um, uh, just any anything that, that robs us of the joy of uh, our family life with Jesus. Uh, on the other end of that is the spirit. The spirit is 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 striving against the flesh. What for? So that we might have that intimacy with Jesus, so that our life could be free, that we could have the victory that Jesus wants us to have. For the ones out there that may be saying, okay, I understand that part, and I understand those that are looking and can't find what they're seeking for something and they can't get Mm -hmm. there. What about the ones that aren't even looking? It's the happy pagan, if you will. Mm, What do you say to them that don't even realize that there's a need yet? Is there any way? Do you have to wait till they get to that point? Do you wait for the Holy Spirit to move? What do you do? Wow, what a great great question. The the idea of of someone being content, um, the the good news is the Holy Spirit is... is, um, it's extremely effective at, at affecting that. Um, I've never met somebody who is content their whole life. They always get this holy dissatisfaction. I, I believe it's a, that is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, my grandfather, who was a, a pastor and minister as well, he called it the Holy Ghost Miserables. And he would actually pray for his family members and his children if they got to the place of uh, being so content in life that they don't need God, he would pray that they would get miserable because uh, that, that tends to be when we look for God. Now, some people say, well, then isn't God just a crutch or isn't he just somebody for people who are weak and hurting? Uh, everybody's weak and hurting. Uh, to, to, to not face that is, is, is the epitome of arrogance that, that, oh, you're weak and you're hurting, you need Jesus. Uh, everyone is weak. Everyone has gone through pain. Everyone's gone through sorrows. There, there are people listening right now that, that are facing the most difficult season of their life. And, um, and and that could be seen as like, oh, God, why? You know, why am I going through this? Is, am I cursed? Am I, uh, why aren't I blessed like others? Well, maybe that there's a blessing in disguise in that, you know, the, the silver lining, as they say, that, that God is actually using that. C.S. Lewis called, called it pain as being the megaphone that God calls us to wake us up, to say, come, come deeper to me, come know me more, come, come closer to me, draw. I, I find myself um, at times of pain and difficulty, um, of being hungry for for more of Jesus. Now, one of the things I'm also learning, and change the subject just slightly, is 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 I want him when things are going well too. Uh, I want to know him more when when everything seems to be falling in place and there's 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 joy unspeakable, as as the old song says. Uh, that that I would that I would strive to stay in that spiritual place of hunger even in those moments as well. So either way, but that 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 happy pagan, as you're mm-hmm. speaking of, I, I don't think that's a situation that lasts too long or. That, that really can, can be a reality. I think that would be a very superficial happiness uh, based on circumstances. Uh, and the kind of joy that I'm speaking of that comes from this intimacy with Jesus that we're talking about is much more dif- different than, much more deeper than that, that superficial, like, oh, things are working well in my life, so I must be happy. Things are not working well in my life, so I'm, I'm, I've lost my joy. This is a, a deeper joy that is not based on circumstances. It can be... It can be Jesus calming the storm when the winds and the waves, he, he, he commands them to, to cease and they cease uh, and there's joy from that. Or you ride through the storm and the, and the winds and the waves continue, but he gives you a peace in the middle of the storm. Either way, you have that, you have that friend in Jesus. He's always speaking to us. I, paraphrasing, I may be getting this wrong. This said he uh, whispers us in, to us in our comfort and shouts to shouts us in our pain, pain right? Does, yeah. So he's always speaking. We're just not always listening. That's a good. Way. That's a good quote. Yeah. The ministry your dad started in World Challenge. It was very one of the early ministries to pair uh, evangelism with this need to care for the poor. 
that's not just something that a ministry aspires to, but I think all Christians, to be holistic, should do that as well. Where did that come from? It was not that well known 47 years ago when this ministry right. started. Yeah, the ministry started off uh, uh, almost exclusively dealing with what we call relief. Uh, so if there's a tsunami, an earthquake, um, <clears throat> a region uh, of, the, of the world where there was a famine, so we'd bring food supplies, we'd bring medical supplies. Um, it, it was that emergency thing. And then it began to grow into to a little bit longer-term sustainable help. So we would, we would support missionaries who were long-term in that area. So there was this major shift in our ministry from, uh, and we continue to do the relief because we believe that's the heart of Jesus, to care for the poor in the time of crisis and in their need. Uh, but at the same time, it got in my heart um, probably 15 years ago, uh, is there something we can do uh, instead of keeping putting a Band-Aid on the problem to actually solve the problem? And uh, it took a while, and it took a lot of patience, but we began to see uh, some glimmers of hope, some sparks of hope uh, in, in some small communities and some villages uh, in Cambodia and Africa were our first two pilot projects. And in those areas, we began to see people who were, um, uh, had, had lived in the cyclical poverty. You know, they, they grew up poor. Their parents grew up poor. Maybe they'd been through, like in northern Uganda, through a civil conflict and uh, seen, seen horrible things take place, and they're just kind of stuck in this place of poverty. And so we were able to go in and say, okay, what, how, how does this change? And, and, and we know uh, the power of the gospel, uh, and yet some of these were, were already, they were already Christians. So we said, okay, wait a minute, they're, they're already Christians, they already pray, but what's, what's happening that they, 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 are, they are continually living in this poverty? And um, so for me, I realized that the core of this was, was the issue of hope and faith. They had lost hope, they had lost faith. They didn't believe any longer that they, they had any potential of coming out of this kind of life that they were stuck in. Uh, they believed it was their lot in life, that maybe they had done something wrong or that their parents had done something wrong. It was a curse on them and this is just, you know, they, they knew that God loved them but he was just gonna leave them in that place and so they were stuck in that and they felt like their only hope was if some maybe Western mission agency or missionary would come and rescue them and save them. Give me money, give, build me a, a new home or build us a school, build us a water well. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and again, at certain times and places, those things can be really good to do that. Uh, but at other times, it could be very harmful if a Western agency continues to come in and just continue to build things for people. What's that going to do for somebody who feels like they can't do anything, who are hopeless inside, who have no faith and feel like maybe God's not for them? Maybe he's, he's just tolerating them rather than wanting to see them thrive in life. Uh, well, that just it can perpetuate it. It, it can it can. Uh, cause that sense of dignity to be lost because they're waiting on somebody else to do something for them. So what we did is we started going into these villages, communities, urban areas, and we would meet with uh, people, anybody that was open uh, to saying, we want to see something change. And we begin to start, uh, this may sound strange, and I'm, this is a long answer to your question, but uh, we would get a, a white uh, piece of paper out or a whiteboard and just begin to list, what are the problems in this community? Uh, food shortages, uh, not no clean water, malaria, uh, but then we'd start asking more personal questions. Well, then it would come down to that faith, hopelessness, despair, uh, confusion, desperation, <clears throat> and, and then at the, and then we'd switch around. Okay, now what, what are your what, what are your potentials? What, what, do, what do you have that you can do good? So, well, we, we're really good at farming, or uh, we're, we're by some ponds that have really good fish. And so, well, you have all these resources. Uh, and what we would do then is is begin to say, okay, well, you'll never use those resources to address these problems as long as you have this issue in your heart, the issue of hopelessness and despair, lack of faith, lack of belief that God's called you to do something great with your life, that you can, you can make a change, uh, you can live a different life. 
and we started building hope and faith in them. And then all of a sudden the light came on. They just go like, wow, yeah, we, we live by all these lakes and we're not fishing. Let's start. Uh, and so the, uh, a couple of the men in the village would get together and say, let's, let's, uh, let's build a boat and let's go out and, and start fishing. And they fished and, uh, or farming. Uh, they, they, they had this land, but they weren't, they weren't using it. They were just feeling like, bring food in from the outside, bring us a feeding program. And so we would teach them um, the need to, f- to farm their own land and how to do that. And, and, uh, and some of them had some small farms, and we would, we would say something like, okay, you have, um, <clears throat> here's your yield. How about we help you uh, triple or quadruple the yield you sell that at the market. We'll help you get uh, contacts, sell it at the market. And, but the only thing we ask is <clears throat> that uh, you take a, a, proceed, a percentage of that, maybe t- 5%, 10%, and put it into a community bank. And then you as leaders and elders get together and say, hey, remember that list of things? We don't have a school in our village. Uh, we don't have a clean water well. We'll use this community bank. Uh, we'll build our own water well. We'll build our own school. So uh, I go into villages now and I see water wells and schools and clinics and orphanages and they don't have any moral challenge on them. Now, we were instrumental uh, in, in helping make that happen, but sort of in a, in a secondary role. We were the support system for them. God was using them. The end of the story is they show us, like, look at the school we built. Look at this water well we just built. They have community ownership. There's a sense of, a godly sense of pride, not that arrogant kind of pride, but the good kind of pride is, God, you, you used us to do this. And they're very grateful. They, you know, they give us a lot of thanks, saying, "Thank you for coming, but thank you for not just doing things for us when, that we could do for ourselves. That we we could, you know, the old saying goes, you know, you could teach a man to, uh, uh, you could uh, give a man a fish or teach him to fish. And so, so that that's kind of part of what World Challenge is doing now uh, around the country. And our goal is is audacious. It's uh, to bring poverty solutions within reach of every poor community in the world. That that's that's a big goal, and that's that's uh, should the Lord tarry. That's something that will outlive me. Uh, this is a, this is a goal that is, has generations to be built into it, and we're already uh, uh, bringing up new, a young generation of leaders here at World Challenge to help look to the future of that. Uh, but we do we see, we see this in every urban area. We see it in every slum. We see it in every uh, favela. That's what they call them in in South America. The, the, these these areas of the gangs are running them. Uh, we, and we see that the, the long-term solutions to poverty change nations. Um, our immigration uh, battle right now, this conflict that's going on, you know, the, the root cause of that is people coming from Latin America that, that are trying to escape gangs and poverty and, and drugs. Uh, some of them are not doing it the right way and some are. <clears throat> but uh, the, 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 so, so what, if, what would happen if we got into every community in the world and, and so that that, that villager in in Guatemala or Venezuela uh, all of a sudden finds they got, they got a beautiful farm and or they got started a business that well you know that that solves the problem so uh, the, the, that's that's why it's a solution oriented uh, it, situation it is remarkable what hope can do isn't it we have staff uh, devotions here at, at world challenge just came out of one before mm-hmm. we did this interview and we heard from a couple that runs an orphanage in Uzbekistan that mm-hmm. talks about these children who have some type of uh, physical defect or some other malady that takes them out of society and they're put in these homes where they just are left to die. But when they came in and were shown love by these missionaries that went in, suddenly they brighten up. Suddenly Mm -hmm. the hope is is alive within them and they become entirely new people. What is it about hope that gives it? Why is it such a spark in the in the human psyche? Why does how does that work? How, do, how does hope bring a spark of life? How does it change us? How does hope change us? Well, you start with the negative. Look at the, la- the lack of hope. Um, 
<clears throat> causes people to um, be immobilized, to, to be lethargic, uh, to, to, to lose sense of confidence and energy. So, so you sit back and let life happen to you when you're hopeless. Um, you, don't, you don't have vision. You don't, have, uh, you don't hold on to the promises of God that he has for you because you just believe it's they're, they're, they're for somebody else. Uh, so, that, so that's the negative side of hopelessness. But once hope arises in somebody's heart, um, and that can, that can be a person in a developing country that is living in poverty and they need hope to believe there's a chance of coming out of it. Or it could be somebody who, uh, you know, maybe a, a mom whose teenage son is on drugs and they begin hopeless, like, I'm going to lose them. There's, this is, there's this, um, and, and so that hope then, be, uh, that hopelessness turns to despair and depression and discouragement and, and, um, or manipulation. And so, so, you know, it's just hopelessness has all kinds of uh, talons that, that uh, destroy our life. And again, the reverse of that is uh, hope, this idea of, of a spark. It's like a deep breath comes into the lungs and, uh, and a sense of uh, my destiny is not locked into despair and degradation and loss and failure. The, 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 the future is, is not predetermined in the sense of uh, lock, locked into hopelessness. <clears throat> and that springs up inside of us, and, and it begins to. I think the first thing it does is it changes the mind. It, it, uh, you begin to believe something different, and once you believe something, that changes the behavior. You start saying, "Okay, well, I, I believe I can make a difference." Okay, well, how do I make a difference? Well, I can do this. I can plant that seed in the ground, or I can tell my teenage son, <clears throat> "You need to get into a drug program. You can't continue to live here in my house, and uh, <clears throat> you know, steal from me, take my jewelry, and go buy your drugs." Uh, and so. If you're hopeless, you just let it happen to you. If you have hope, you begin to get a vision. And um, you know, I believe hope comes from God. <clears throat> he is the, the primary source of hope. And once he begins to instill that in your heart and you receive it, then you begin to have uh, vision, plans, action, creativity, energy. Uh, I find people who are hopeless have lack of energy. People who are filled with hope are, are the most vivacious, uh, get her done, go do it kind of type person. And they wake up with a sense of uh, today is going to be a good day. Uh, hopeless people wake up saying, I don't want to get out of bed. There's why. And so um, then, 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 you know, I don't know if you're going to ask this next, but I'll answer it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how do you get hope then? Yeah. Okay, if I'm hopeless, how, how do you go from hopelessness to, to hope? Is, is, there, is there a transition in there? Um, hopelessness uh, and, and please don't hear this as uh, as an accusation or as a condemnation. But but hopelessness is the root of it is not knowing the nature and character of God. Uh, uh, so so kind of it's, it's kind of a lack of belief in who He says He is. So He says He's good, but is He really good? And that that questioning that uh, if you remember that parable of uh, the, the 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 landowner who or the master who gave. Uh, you know, t five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. And the two had, had hope. They believed they could do something with their life, and so they saw what they had doubled. And the master was like, well done, good and faithful servant. The only time in the Bible that actually calls a, a man good and faithful servant, well done, is, is in that story. Uh, and it's mentioned twice. But then the third, uh, there, was, there, there wasn't a hope that he could do something with this. So he buries it in the ground, and his comment was, I knew you were a hard man. So, so his hopelessness and his burying, his life really, his gifts, his talents, his abilities, his potential, him, him, him reducing that to nothing, <clears throat> all, all stem from his mentality, his mind saying, I knew you were a hard man. 
I knew I, I knew I couldn't please you. I knew I couldn't do enough for you. And so I believe that hopelessness is born out of a, of a, of an incorrect view of God. And that's what Satan t- comes to kill, steal, and destroy is our view of God being good, being for us, being powerful, being available, being present to us at all times, and even being with us in the storms when the storms don't cease, that, that he's still present in that. And maybe there's a purpose for that. Uh, we think he's out of control. We think he's 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 gone on vacation. That he's forgotten about us, and so we don't uh, you know, we don't we, we see him as a hard man or a distant man uh, or someone. And that's where you know people start getting that to that place of like you know are you really there or do you really care? Do you love me? And um, all those are questions that lead to to the despair of hopelessness. So the reverse of that, I would say, is if if somebody's dealing with hopelessness, I say rather than trying to it's okay to get counseling and and uh, maybe talk to your pastor about it. But but I would say do a study on the character and nature of God, um, that 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 He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all time. And what, what does that really mean? Is is it a mean God that's there at all times? Well, who wants that? You know. Well, so what kind of God is there at all times? Well, uh, He's good. He's faithful. He's just. He's true. Um, there's this, actually a series. I'll give you a little advice. There's a series online from A. W. Tozer. Uh, call about the character and nature of God. You can you can check out on YouTube, and um, it's like eight things that are about the character of God, uh, um, and it's it's changed my life uh, because uh, so having that knowledge of what God is like gives me confidence that things in my life are going to be as He desires them to be, which is good. It's always good for me. Our mistakes come from an incorrect view of ourselves and an incorrect view of God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We kind of mix up the two. Yeah, that's true. Uh, John Calvin's Institute of Theology, mm-hmm. its institutes, the, the, one of the most famous writings of church history, starts off by actually saying that, that, mm-hmm. that uh, we have to both know God and what he's like, his nature and character, and we have to know ourselves as well. Because some theologians know mentally about the nature and character of God but it has no impact on their life because they don't know themselves that, well, they're not believing that or they're not trusting that or they're not leaning into that. They're, they're just seeing it as an intellectual aspiring to uh, ha- have more head knowledge about God uh, to build up the ego and the pride. And so, so you, can, you, can be a, uh, you can be a theologian and, and not have hope. Uh, you don't have to be a, a, you know, a hungry child in, in Africa to, uh, or a mom uh, with five kids in, in a village in a, in a slum uh, to, to, to lack hope. You can, you, can, you can be a CEO of a corporation and, uh, or, or, as I said, a theologian and not have hope because you're just seeing this. this, this you know about God, but you don't know God. And that's, that's, big, that's a big difference. And my, my ministry really is based on helping people go beyond knowing about him and things about him and information about him, which, which is, you know, Paul said the letter kills. If you just write letters about God, what he's like, it, it'll kill you just because it has no life to it. But knowing him personally, you can have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, and when you've seen him, you've seen the Father, you see what the Father's like. You see the love of Jesus, you see what the Father's like. 